0: Coming up on the program in this hour is a guest I'm really honored to have on. We've had her on the show before. Uh, First of all, as a woman, I am very impressed by and I admire women who are in key positions, are are higher-ups, or are in this case, presidents. Our next guest in this hour is president of the 1.6 million member American Federation of Teachers, the AFT. She's been president since 2008, and the AFT represents pre-K through 12th grade teachers, paraprofessionals, and other school support staff, higher education faculty and staff, nurses, and other healthcare professionals, as well as state and local government employees. So, you know, over a million, a million and a half uh, members strong, A woman heading it up and running it. I love it. Randy Weingarten is going to be joining us as AFT president. Uh, We're going to talk with her about a number of things. But one is uh, the nomination of Betsy DeVos. Uh, This is something a lot of people, especially those who have children in schools in the inner city throughout our nation, are concerned about. More than a pleasure to have, as I said, I love when a woman I look up to, I respect and I admire women, especially in high places. I love it as a female, a woman who's in charge of over a million and a half, 1.6 million members of the American Federation of Teachers, the AFT, uh, President Randy Weingarten. Welcome back on the show, Uh, Ms. Weingarten. Thank you for joining us. Oh, good, good to have you with us. I am uh, one of your biggest fans, quite frankly. Um, and, I, you know, they, the feeling is mutual. Well, oh, thank you. I, I appreciate that. Uh, Ms. Weingarten, when I saw the nomination of Betsy DeVos as Secretary of Education, um, I cringed. I knew a little bit about her, but then I did some research and I dug further. So, first of all, as president of the AFT, what is your reaction to the nomination of this individual to head up our education department?
1: It's um, stunning um, and terrible at the same time. And, you know, what it says, um, it says a lot about how the president-elect doesn't, you know, we know he doesn't respect um, public institutions. We know a lot of people don't trust institutions anymore. But the one institution that parents trust by and large throughout the United States of America is their local public schools. And unfortunately, people who are far away from them, including President-elect Trump, others and his family, don't really have that connection. And so when they nominate somebody who has spent 30 years trying to destroy public schools, um, it's uh, stunning. And it's very dispiriting Uh, because it is really very much about killing off the only opportunity agent for children in America.
0: Uh, To your point, Ms. Weingarten, do you feel, uh, because I do just in in looking at the background of Betsy DeVos, um, that uh, she's extremely ideological and um, that she is anti-public education? Let's break those down. First of all... um, is she extremely ideological? I mean, we just look at some of the checks that have been written by her and her her family members. And if so, if we can, you know, clearly state that, should somebody in this position be so strong, uh, leaning ideologically either way?
1: So the so first off, she is extremely ideological, and she is her ideology is anti-public education, and frankly. It's disqualifying in normal times for someone who doesn't believe in the service that they are charged with the responsibility of to be in that job. It is, you know, akin to the fox guarding the chicken coop, but in a much more meaningful way because you're talking about not just the 50 million children that go to school right now, you're talking about Generations of kids who will go to school in the future. 90% of the kids in America go to public schools. So that's why there's never been, in the 40 or 50 years that there's been a Department of Education, in the 50 or 60 years that there's been, you know, federal funding and federal policy on education, no Republican or Democratic uh, president ever picked someone who. Has set their life being anti-public education, and that's why this is not this is this is well beyond whether you're going to have a debate over um, whether or not uh, uh, you know what the tax policy should be or what the minimum wage should be. You know, I may fight, fight, fight that we should have a higher minimum wage that that workers should have a living wage that workers are entitled to a voice on the job. But, you know, and others might fight and say, no, their wages should be lower, not higher. And that's a ideological fight. And, you know, Republicans sometimes go on one side of it, and Democrats, Democrats on the side of raising wages, Republicans on the side of, 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 of you know, of uh, not raising wages. But that's different than having a fight over whether there should be public education when the education secretary is
0: in charge of public education. It's beyond frightening. A lot of people listening have heard Trump talk about the people he surrounds himself with privatizing our educational system. Can you speak to, A, what that is for people that aren't clear about that and what that means to our public education system, specifically to our children?
1: So I want to make sure that for all your listeners, you know, we believe, you know, we're not happy with the state of all schools. And obviously, those schools that are not performing well, we need to change them. We need to fix them. We need to make sure that every child gets a decent education. But the people who want to end public education, who want control of that, you know, several um, you know, trillion dollars that are involved in education right now. Their goal is to discredit um, the institution so much that they can get their hands on that money for profit. That's their goal, and that's what privatization is all about. Sometimes they say they want to give choices, more choices, to kids, but if they really wanted to give more choices to kids, they would actually invest in the public schools in, in the neighborhoods and make that a great choice. Um, and frankly, the choices that they talk about a lot, charters and vouchers um, and online learning, by and large, have not done any better and frankly have done a lot worse. We're going to talk I'm more about it, Miss Weingarten.
0: Sorry, to, I, I'm so uh, interested. We have to say we're up against a break. We'll be right back after this quick one. Randy Weingarten, president of the American Federation of Teachers, is our guest back after this. We are back, so is she, president of the 1.6 million member American Federation of Teachers, the AFT, Ms. Randy Weingarten is our guest. Uh, Ms. Weingarten, thank you for holding. Welcome back. Uh, we are talking about the nomination of Betsy DeVos as Secretary of Education. We're talking about how the education policy Trump has made very clear uh, to focus it on uh, privatizing. Now, if you focus on privatizing, you're, you're also clearly looking at defunding our public education system as we know it. And, and wouldn't that defunding Destroy public education, and I just look at what we have the problem with with regard to schools, and I agree with you 100%, Ms. Weingarten. You know, if something's broken, then fix it. You just, you know, you don't destroy it. But what what does this do for kids, not only in the inner city, but in areas of the United States, perhaps the rural areas of the United States, um, where they need more funding, not less funding, uh, to get an adequate education?
1: So the. um, Sorry, I'm in train as we're chatting. <laughs> um, the the most, you know, what, what happens when you use these private alternatives is that um, they do take money away from other kids. And that's what we've seen in places like Chicago and Philadelphia and um, all throughout uh, California. And you know, let me tell you about Detroit. In Detroit, there were all these unregulated charter schools that took and that and that took money from other public schools, did a terrible job for kids. Many of them just closed in the middle of the year, left parents out and lurch. But what happened is, on top of all of the problems that Detroit had um, to start with, and the problems that emergency management, um, you know, non-local control, top-down, governor-appointed emergency management. Um, uh, led to the schools were not just on the cusp of bankruptcy, but the conditions were abysmal and kids didn't get what they needed. And so that's what privatization does in the name. It just it is destabilizing and defunding because we've had 31 states that still pay, that still fund schools at less of a level than they did in 2008. So our kids have gotten poorer. Lots of ramifications and consequences of the last recession, including that schools, um, you know, teachers got let off, schools got defunded. And then on top of it, um, charters started or vouchers in some places started. Don't do very well for the kids that are in it, but the kids in public education really suffer for a lack of funding.
0: No question. And when you talk about Ms. DeVos, um, this is somebody who spent her family's wealth in quite an effort to dismantle public education in um, her home state uh, of Michigan. I've had so many people that listen to us on the radio in that state and that have either called us, uh, have emailed us, have tweeted us or sent us messages on Facebook and just, you know, talking about what a mess they felt that she uh, her family and their money and their influence um, has done to their school systems. And many of them who were kids then, our parents now, are quite concerned. I, I, I
1: want yeah, to talk. Rick, look, look at look her last fight. I'll take two fights. She, uh, using her family fortune, tried to get Michigan residents and voters to pass vouchers. They rejected it by a two-to-one basis in the early 2000s. But but she's been constantly trying to destabilize public education, charters. The Michigan system is viewed as the wild, wild west of charters. And now, today, or this last few months, her campaign against the Detroit public schools had the hashtag, end DPS. Not make public schools better for kids,
0: but end DPS. Again, when we look at it, it it just, I can't even, it's not even like they're trying to hide uh, what they are trying to do. And and, and this is somebody, you you talk about charter schools, and you talk about parochial schools and, and other places where people would take their vouchers and use them. But the reality is... There are not those options in many areas of the country, specifically uh, inner cities or more impoverished areas of the country, rural areas of the country. So what does that leave an individual if you have a voucher but know where to use that voucher?
1: So, you know, one of the things that people, are, you know, one of the reasons that there's a real connection between rural schools and urban schools, you know, when people don't try to divide us is because many of the same, you have many of the same problems, many of the same issues. We need to create supports for kids, not try to find ways to take a couple of thousand dollars away and give it to a parent and say, okay, now you figure out what to do with it. But, you know, there are people, Leslie, who like this idea because what they're going to say to parents, they're going to say, oh, we can give you online education. I've even heard some schemes where they'll say, oh, You know, you get a voucher for a $1,000. We can give you online education for $500, and then you save $500. And the K-12, Inc., online education has been abysmal for children. So they're sold a pig and a poke. They're basically people prey on what is a legitimate need of parents to want their kids to get a great education. They prey on it. They sell people things. And then... What they get is terrible,
0: terrible outcomes. Ms. Weingarten, I have two children. One is eight and one is nine. So I'm one of these moms. And I have to say I know how valuable it is that they go to a school, that they have a classroom, that they have a good teacher that has a union like the AFT behind them, that they have recess, they have P.E., They have socialization. This is all part of the package under the umbrella of the educational system. Do you feel this is also a push to um, kowtow in a sense uh, to people that choose to homeschool their children and to maybe push more people to make that choice with this idea uh, that Trump has and other people like uh, Ms. DeVos?
1: Yes. I mean, look, she's a big believer. She's a big believer in, in homeschooling, and she's a big believer in um, in uh, uh, Christian schooling. Right. So, you know, and, and I mean, I, look, parents have a right if they want to homeschool their kids to homeschool their kids. We have a responsibility as educators in the public sector to actually make sure that there is a great neighborhood public school for kids. And parents that have the option to use it. But that's our obligation in terms of the public taxpayer dollar to make sure that there is a public, make sure that there is public education for kids. That's our obligation. And that's what the public, that's what the, the public taxpayer dollar should go to. Accountable public schools that use money wisely, but that help kids not only dream their dreams, but schools that are anchors of democracy and propellers of economy. And the socialization piece, I, I couldn't agree with you more. The, the notion of getting along with other kids, right. of, of learning resilience, of learning how to critically think, it's very hard to do when you're doing it alone by yourself in isolation, even if your parents or, or, or tutors are fantastic. It's just there's something about a school community creating community, understanding that, loving that, and, and, and being part of a diverse you know diverse set of circumstances that helps not
0: only kids uh, broaden themselves, but helps them be able to deal with life in the future. And when you speak of the future, I agree with you 100% there, wholeheartedly. When we think about the future, I mean, these children now, in the future will be our presidents, our senators, uh, our representatives, um, our talk show hosts, our presidents of unions, um, our teachers. Their mind, in my opinion, is the most valuable thing that we have. And, and it's the biggest responsibility we have not just as parents but as a society and as taxpayers i think we have an obligation through our tax dollars to educate all children in the united states and that all children should have the option of that public education and a great public education and in my and my fear with this nomination it is it, This will just be a, a terrible four-year period, um, you know, just a, a spiraling down, if you will, uh, and, and headed backward, if you will, with regard to our education.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think, look, we're going to fight this fight because we believe in our gut, in the need for children to have um, public education as When I was a kid, um, I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. My parents were middle-class parents. My mom was a teacher. My dad was an electrical engineer. And they sent me and my sister to public schools that really, really, really helped us flourish and helped us thrive. And, you know, that's what our obligation is in America to all of our children, so that they become the next welders and presidents. And, 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 you know, and, and, and radio reporters and teacher unit leaders, they, we, that's what our duty is. And so when you have somebody who's the head of the federal education department basically being antithetical to that, of course we'll fight. But think about what happens in the midst of that fight. Think about how much more energy, how much more productive it would be if we just rolled up our sleeves together and actually got to work. And frankly, that's what I thought we were going to do after the uh, we threw out No Child Left Behind right. and the new federal policy and law was passed in December 2015 in a bipartisan way by Republicans and Democrats alike. And this is the same kind of overreach that a lot of us fought against. When it was Democrats doing it, like Artie Duncan,
0: here you have overreach on steroids with Republicans doing it. Malcolm Gladwell, I'm sure you're familiar with him. Not only uh, you know famous uh, you know author, a uh, speaker, or a teacher, a brilliant man, brilliant man. Um, and whether people uh, like him or what he has to say. And he had a public education uh, in Canada on both, um, uh, K, you, know, you know, kindergarten through 12 level, but also beyond because, you know, Canada, you know, you can get free college unlike here in the United States. But he talked about, quite frankly, um, using uh, statistical analysis and, and data, why it's really good to have kids of all levels together. And why a public education um, is great, and and he really said that you know somebody like him, for example, who's a genius and off the charts in so many areas, it um, helped raise the bar for the entire class and other kids. It's almost like you know you know kids bring themselves up, and and that that competition is really apparent, and not only apparent but needed because that's what we have in the real world in a public educational environment.
1: When when you have. Um... You know, we, we, a lot of us believe in what, in the jargon, we call heterogeneous groupings, meaning when you have kids of different backgrounds, kids of different achievement levels working together in teams, um, they gather so much up from each other and learn so much from each other. And it's not simply a competition of ideas. It's actually they learn to work together, and they learn to deeply respect each other, and and have each other's back. And in 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 the work environment, in in um, society as a large at at large, learning those skills of socialization and teamwork and building on each other's ideas
0: are absolutely essential for. You know, life and for today and tomorrow's jobs. Yeah. One of the things that bothers me as well when you look at her, her background is that she tried to strip teachers' unions of their influence. And and I want to say, as, as a mom of an eight- and nine-year-old, um, having friends that are teachers in the union, having teachers as a parent of my children that are in the union, I think it's essential. I love unions because I think they give us, Uh, the best and the brightest, and they help to keep those best and and brightest uh, trained on top of their game and provide the best work environment. And I think that's best for the students as well as for the teachers. Uh, Talk to us as president of a union, Ms. Weingarten, um, as to her efforts to uh, strip teacher unions of their influence and what that could mean going forward for the public educational system on the whole on a federal level.
1: Well, let me just use even a quick example from Wisconsin. When Scott Walker, who drew a lot of his um, ideas from Betsy DeBoss and others. When he got rid of collective bargaining for school teachers in Wisconsin, the pay levels of teachers went down about 9 or 10% over the course of the last few years. Because without collective bargaining, teachers don't really have power individually. They have power in their classrooms to engage kids in amazing ways to lift kids up in amazing ways, but when it comes to the dignity of work, they need to have a group of people together to create power to raise wages. And in the absence of that, wages went down in Wisconsin. The other thing that teacher unions do is they give people uh, away a way, a protective blanket, so. They can actually speak on behalf of their kids so that they know that they won't be fired for the minute they utter something that may, you know, that the boss may disagree with. And most of the time, it's about wanting to do something better for your kids, thinking that there is something, some better way of doing things, supporting a special needs kid who's not getting the services. So people like Betsy DeVos, who has a lot of power, don't want anybody else to have power. So if you don't want individual, if you don't want teachers to have power, you you try to decimate their unions so that it's Bessie DeVos, the big powerful billionaire heiress, versus an individual teacher who could be fired for any reason or no reason at all. And that's why they try to kill off teacher unions because we have a voice and we try to be an independent voice for teachers. Do we do everything right? No, of course not. And are there things that we should do better, including making sure that if somebody can't teach, they shouldn't be there, and making sure that due process is really about fairness, not about a job for life or things like that? Of course. But we're taking that responsibility on at the same time as we proudly try to fight for the voice of teachers and get them the support they need so that they can actually do the job that they've been asked to do. That's who we are. That's what we
0: try to do. Well, if I were president, you'd definitely be my pick for Secretary of Education after I just heard that, Ms. Weingarten, and other things I've seen that you've said, and done. And, um, we thank you for being with us once again today. I look forward thank to you. having you back in the program in the future, and keep up the fight, um, you know, against this uh, nominee. Uh, Ms. Randy Weingarten, President of the American Federation of Teachers, follow her on Twitter at Weingarten, that's R-W-E-I-N-G-A-R-T-E-N, follow the American Federation of Teachers Union at AFT Union, and the website is AFT.org, you know, get Go to their website. Find out what you can do. We're taxpayers. This education system is for our children, our neighbor's children, and that is our future, folks.